Blessed are we who gather with open hearts together in this space today. Blessed are we, the chalice lighters of resistance, justice, love and faith. Blessed are we, the heretics, the outcasts, the disruptors and provocateurs, the walkers of our own way. Blessed are we, the border crossers, the refugees, the immigrants, the poor, the wanderers who are not lost. Blessed are we, the transgressors, the trespassers, the passers-by, the cause-takers, the defiant, the compliant. Blessed are we, the hand-extenders, the sign-makers, the protesters, the protectors. Blessed are we, the people of diverse identities, all ages, genders and abilities of multiple heritages. Blessed are we, the friend, the stranger, the lonely, the hidden, the visible, the authentic. Blessed are we who rise in solidarity. Blessed are we who cannot. Blessed are we or do not. Blessed are we, for this is our beloved community and this is who we are. These opening words by Andrea Hawkins Kemper. They welcome all those who've gathered here on Zoom this morning to take part in our Sunday service. Welcome to regular members of the congregation. Welcome to any friends and visitors who are with us today. Welcome to anyone who might be listening in via our podcast or watching this on YouTube at a later date. For anyone who doesn't know me, my name is Jane Blackall and I'm Ministry Coordinator with Kensington Unitarians. If anyone's here for the first time today, especially glad to have you with us. Welcome. Hope you find something of what you need in the coming hour. Please do hang around afterwards for a chat or drop us an email to introduce yourself if you'd like. Or you might try coming along to one of our many small group gatherings in order to know us better. And to the regulars, thanks for all you do to welcome all who come. Because even while we're on Zoom, we all have a part to play in co-creating this sacred space, this sense of community. As we always say, feel free to do what you need to do to be comfortable. It's lovely to see your faces, but if you want to keep your camera off, that is fine. There'll be opportunities to join in, but it's an invitation and not an obligation. This morning's service, I will be co-leading along with our own Patricia Brewerton. Patricia suggested today's theme of loving disruption. It's a great, a juicy topic. Uh, we'll be considering how loving action isn't always going to be a warm and fuzzy, straightforwardly feel-good experience. Sometimes it seems what love requires of us is to be disruptive, even make a nuisance of ourselves, because so many things in this world need to change radically for the sake of the greater good. Before we go any further, though, I'm going to do what we always do and light our chalice. It's a simple ritual that connects us with Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists the world over, and it reminds us of the proudly progressive religious tradition of which this gathering is part. A chalice is a reminder that in hard times, our ancestors in faith acted with courage to bring hope and safety, to bring life itself to people who were threatened with harm. We light it this morning as a reminder of who we are still called to be in a world marred by injustice, carelessness and neglect, 
where so many are endangered and despairing. With courage, faith and fragile hope, we bring ourselves to the work before us, ready to lift up all that is most beautiful and true and join in living towards a realm of love. We're going to take those joys and concerns into an extended time of prayer, which is based on some words written by A. Powell Davis. Now, this prayer was written back in the 1950s, so they might seem a little bit old fashioned in places, uh, but they touched my heart. So I didn't want to change them too much. Uh, I want to share them as they are. So as we move into this time of prayer, you might want to adjust your position for comfort, close your eyes, soften your gaze. You might want to get into a position that feels more prayerful for you whatever helps you to get into the right state of body and mind for us to pray together and be fully present in this sacred time and space with ourselves, each other, and that which is both within us and beyond us. Spirit of life, God of all love, in whom we live and move and have our being, as we turn our attention to the depths of this life, the cosmic mystery and wisdom that abides in all that is, we tune into your holy presence within us and amongst us. Spirit, renew in us the sense of life's goodness and the vision of its beauty, that we may find joy and strength and gladness as we journey on our way. so much that is precious we so easily lose and so much that is worthless we struggle to preserve help us now to reflect more searchingly on the inwardness of our lives deepen within us our knowledge of our real needs lead us to know more surely what life should be Even with eyes that have been dazzled by a world of glittering trinkets and baubles, help us to see the heavenly vision, the realm of love that is yet to come. Even in hearts that are fearful, let there be a prayer for courage. Give us to see ourselves as we really want to be. The duty we've shirked has left a painful memory in us. We know how near we came to undertaking it. Truth we left unspoken remains to trouble us. We remember how near we came to speaking it. The kindness we withheld we could have given. We need not have been vengeful. We felt the impulse to be generous. We wanted to be good. Save us from all despairs, especially from those with which we shield ourselves and make excuses, saying that it's not in us to be better than we are, for we know the truth. We love the goodness that we turn away from, and whenever we are willing, we can serve it. Help us to have faith in the promise, the promise that is in ourselves. Let us not add to the hopelessness that is in the world. Let us have faith 
that we can be a part of what moves forward, pushing back evil and establishing the good, overturning the status quo. Make us one with all that inhumanity is struggling onward, groping towards new life, toiling for a better day. For our prayers begin, may our lives continue. And in a few moments of shared stillness now, let us gently recall all those situations that are uppermost in our minds and hearts this day. Let us hold all those who are suffering in a spirit of loving kindness. With self-compassion, let us acknowledge our own daily struggles too. And despite everything, let us inwardly give thanks for all that is good in our lives. Spirit of life, God of all love, as this time of prayer draws to a close, we offer up our joys and our concerns, our hopes and our fears, our beauty and our brokenness, and we call on you for insight, healing and renewal. As we look forward now to the coming week, help us to live well each day and be our best selves, using our unique gifts in the service of love, justice and peace. Amen. Time to sing. Our first hymn, Let Love Continue Long, is one that really connects with today's theme, I reckon. The words will be up on your screen so you can sing along at home, or you might prefer just to listen to this recording by the Unitarian Music Society. We'll do our best to make sure you're all kept muted so nobody's going to hear you.
Holy Discomfort and Holy Disruption by Kia Kiali Bordner. I'm too much of myself, discomforting the privileged in the name of wholeness, in the name of the holy. In the name of holy disruption, I'm too much of myself to be complicit. I know better. I lift my light, shake loose the comforted, disrupt the stale status quo of harmful culture. I know better. Disrupt the stale status quo with words, with actions. Some mumbled into my breathing. Some simple as forgiveness. Some held as curses and cries. Some as complicated as love. Some woven as tightly as a shield. Some in community. Some gentle as a prayer. Some all on my own. I'm too much of myself. I bring my sharp edges, my holy anger, my holy love for the interconnected holiness, wholeness of all. I disrupt the casual oppression, the covert slights, refuse the passive aggressive deflection, refute the excuse of racist tradition. No discomfort of the oppressor, oppressor matters here. Black lives matter here. Indigenous sovereignty matters here. The margins are the center here. I know better, I do better. Sometimes I build small bridges just so between people. Sometimes I draw closer to disconnected circles until their new Venn diagrams create community. Dismantle harmful cultures, allow evolution. Provide for the discomforted, shine bright. You know better, be explicit. Together, we are never too much. Disrupt in the name of holy wholeness, discomfort in the name of holy wholeness. Bring all of ourselves in the name of holy, of wholeness. Thank you, Maria. So we're moving now into a time of meditation. To take us into the stillness, I'm going to offer a poem from Sean Parker Dennison, which reflects on the many different and often disruptive faces of love. These words will be followed by a few minutes of shared stillness, during which we'll have our virtual chalice up on the screen, and the silence will end with some gentle piano music from Peter. So again, let's each do what we need to do to get comfortable, have a wiggle if you need, maybe get your feet flat on the floor if that helps you to ground and steady yourself, and again, maybe close your eyes. As I always say, these words, the images, the music, they are all just an offering. Feel free to use this time to meditate in your own way. <laughs> 
To invoke love is to ask for a hug from a thunderstorm. Spill tea in the lap of the infinite trickster. To make the biggest, most embarrassing mistake of your life in front of everyone who matters. To invoke love is to never know if it will come softly with the nuzzle of a beloved dog or pounce right on your chest with the strength of a lioness protecting her cub, her pride, her homeland. To invoke love is to take the risk of inviting chaos to visit the spaces you spent so much time making tidy and watch as the breath of life scatters everything you've only just folded and put away. To invoke love is to allow for the possibility that your words and actions might become so empowered that you can no longer believe in apathy or the self-righteous idea that nothing can change. To invoke love is to give up self-deprecation, false humility, pride, to consider yourself worthy to be made whole, willing to encounter love that will never let us let each other go. To invoke love is to guard against assumptions, take care with our words and practice forgiveness, not as an ethereal ideal, but right here in the messy midst of our imperfect lives. To invoke love is to approach each day and every person with wonder, anticipating love's arrival. Is this the moment? Is this love's grand entrance? Is this person the embodiment of love? Am I the one? To invoke love is to play the fool, the one more concerned with loving than with appearance or reputation, the one ready and willing to be vulnerable, abandoning anything that gets in love's way. To invoke love is to be ready to become love, here, now, in everything we do. Are you ready?
Our second reading today is called The 99% and it's by UU Minister Annie Gonzalez-Millican. Before launching into her words, I want to give a bit of context and preamble to connect it to our theme for today. This piece is a reflection on the Occupy Wall Street protests, which took place just over a decade ago and which helped to kickstart a worldwide Occupy movement, including Occupy St Paul's with its own tent city here in London. In case your memories of that time are hazy, as a reminder, the Occupy movement expressed opposition to social and economic inequality and to the lack of real democracy around the globe. It shone a light on how large corporations and the global financial system control the world in a way that disproportionately benefits a tiny minority, which undermines democracy and causes instability, hence these very focused protest camps in the financial districts like Wall Street and the City of London. The protesters used the slogan, we are the 99% to highlight the obscene and ever increasing concentration of wealth amongst the top 1% of income earners. I'm not happy about the word earners and the other 99% of humans on this planet. So this short reflection speaks of the experience of being part of that protest and in intentional disruption to the unjust status quo and a disruption which is rooted in love. In recent years, protesters for many worthy causes have tried a variety of bold tactics to draw public attention to the dire need for urgent change. Climate activists have been supergluing themselves to roads and planes, for example. These are headline grabbing stunts which are intended to raise awareness. But these high profile acts of disruption sometimes seem to backfire as the media and the general public often focus on the short term inconvenience that is being caused rather than paying attention to the gravity of the underlying issue that the protesters are concerned with. And perhaps capitalising on some of this anti-protester feeling, in recent years the government's increasingly been curtailing our right to protest in any meaningful way. With all that said, that's all my preamble. Here's Annie Gonzalez-Millican's reflection on the ups and downs of loving disruption, the mixture of success and failure she experienced as part of the Occupy movement, the 99%. Look, look, the strangers around me were shouting and pointing. I spun around. From my position halfway across Brooklyn Bridge, I could see a large circle of light on the Verizon building prominent in the New York City skyline. Inside the circle were three symbols that would have meant very little just three months earlier. But on that day, 17th of November 2011, they were a beacon of hope and a cause for celebration. Two nines and a percentage sign. We Ah, the 99%, we shouted in time to the flashing symbols as we took part in our protest march, delighting in this surprise subversion of corporate space. We laughed and cheered as the messages changed, scrolling through favourite chants. Finally, the display reached its conclusion. Happy birthday, Occupy Wall Street. The social movement that had started with a motley crew of activists camping out in Zuccotti Park turned two months old that day. The dose of joy was sorely needed. Two days earlier, I awoke to frantic messages on my phone. The police had arrived in the middle of the night and torn down the tent city I had come to love during my shifts with protest chaplains NYC. I rushed down. The tents, kitchen and library, the diverse and passionate crowds were gone, revealing bare concrete guarded by police. So we carried visceral anger and fresh sadness with us as we marched on the 17th of November. Still, we celebrated. We celebrated because we knew we had already changed the world. 
the Occupy movement had shifted the national conversation about economic and political issues. We'd encourage folks to come together and live their values in radical ways. So we celebrated our victories in the face of recent heartbreak and defeat. We knew the road ahead would be rough. When Zuccotti was raided, the occupiers had become homeless. Still, we hoped. Our hope that night was not rooted in optimism for the future, but in the reality of our powerful gathering. It grew from the certainty that we were standing on the side of love that night as we marched. It was nourished by the sense of connection we felt as we danced and sang and hooted with joy. The loving interconnection that sustains all life, that which I call God. We must dare to hope and celebrate in that manner. We've faced disappointments and instances of defeat. We've seen the brokenness in individuals and in social systems. And yet we must still celebrate. We must celebrate who we are and how we are changing lives, communities, laws and society for the better. When we celebrate our highest values and find that sacred hope within us, we are spiritually energized and driven in divine directions. We are moved toward one another into loving interconnection and into deeper relationship with all that is holy. On the last day of our holiday in June, we were in the French city of La Rochelle, a port on the Atlantic coast. I know La Rochelle well. It's where we always stay when returning from our holiday on the Ile de Ré, so as to be ready to catch a morning train back to Paris. It's an interesting city, sometimes known as the Geneva of France because of its role in the religious wars of the 16th century when it took the Protestant side. Like many port cities, it was also involved in what Wikipedia describes in a rather non-committal way, the triangular trade with the New World, dealing in the slave trade in Africa with plantations of the West Indies and the fur trade with Canada. The old port, around which are many busy bars and restaurants, is beautiful. On this visit, we decided to explore out from the port area towards where the harbour meets the Atlantic. It was a beautiful day and we were just ambling along, so I had time to notice the bronze warm sculpture on the rampart. Tucked away on the other side of the wall to the sea, it was ignored by all the other people hurrying past to get to the beaches and bars. From a distance, it seemed to be just columns of round featureless blobs. But when I got closer, I realized they were columns of heads, not much bigger than my thumb, placed one above the other, with the head above seems to be reading, which the head above seems to be reading. The only difference between them is the expression on their faces. Some express surprise, and some seem to ponder on what they have read. But as we go across the sculpture, we see that in some of the columns, the heads are distorted and broken. The artist, Bruce Grebs, calls the sculpture generation to generation and says that it's the story of people who read people's minds, 
who are in themselves bred by other people, just like culture is passed from one generation to another. But sometimes someone refuses to read, and behind him everything deteriorates, and there's nothing one can do about it. I understand the sculpture of representing how we respond to what we learn in life, change it a bit, and pass a new understanding on to the next generation, each generation changing something in the way we live. And these columns of reading heads, placed elegantly one above the other, suggest that such change can be calm and orderly. Just along from the wall sculpture is a much smaller ceramic plug, acknowledging La Rochelle's role in the slave trade, a trade so easily glossed over in the Wikipedia entry. The date on this is 2010, and of course, by this time, no one implicated in the trade was still around to object, and it caused no outcry when the plug was unveiled. But change is not always calm and orderly. Sometimes it takes disruption to make it happen. In Bristol, in June 2020, we were forced to acknowledge that much of the wealth of some of our port cities also came from the enforced labor of African people kidnapped and sold into slavery by an event that was truly disruptive. Pulling down the statue of Edward Corson had an impact which the discreet placing of the plaque in La Rochelle seems to have lacked. Another way of thinking about these reading heads is that passing ideas from one head to another could inhibit change, as what has been passed along becomes common sense and therefore difficult to challenge. The candidates vying to be our next Prime Minister tell us that change is what the country needs. But no one seems to be offering change. They talk about the need for growth and whether tax goes down now or in the future and the debate is often rather nasty and dispiriting. A few weeks ago, Sarah Tinker asked what it would be like, instead of just repeating the same old stuff, the candidate spoke about love. I'm sure we all smirk behind our masks, thinking, well, that ain't ever going to happen. Such radical change is just not possible. It would be far too disruptive. When I was thinking of the Corston statue, it reminded me of another statue, which I was amazed to see in the place where it stands. I had wondered why it was there, and recently did a Google search, and found that it can serve to remind us that sometimes things we never imagined could happen, do happen. In America, in the suburb of Seattle, known as Fremont, there is a statue of the first head of the Soviet Union, Vladimir Lenin. As statues are usually erected to honor an individual, I was amazed to see a statue of this Bolshevik in a city in the United States. It is on full public view, where it was placed by its American owner in 1995. And actually it's up for sale, but no one seems interested in buying it. It is sometimes decorated, and sometimes vandalized, 
but it cannot be removed because it stands on private land. Whatever it means in its present place, the fact that it is there at all is a symbol of change that we once never thought would happen. The current American owner of the statue found it in a scrapyard in the Czech Republic where it was thrown following the dissolution of the Soviet Union in 1988 when it was no longer thought appropriate to honor the first leader of the regime from which they had been liberated. A liberation which did not seem at all likely a few years earlier, a disruptive change which most people in the West welcomed at the time. Let's return to that sculpture of the reading heads. The artist says that sometimes someone won't read. This is the head with hands over the eyes and behind him everything deteriorates and there is nothing we can do about it. The political commentator John Harris, writing in The Guardian recently, wrote about the very human talent for just averting our eyes from what is directly in front of us so as to live a quiet life. And we all need to do that sometimes, but we know that we can't do it all the time. This recent heatwave is a wake-up call. Something has got to be done about the climate crisis. Harris suggests that perhaps disruptive action is absolutely necessary to get politicians to listen. What if that disruptive action was love? During another time of crisis when everything seemed hopeless, an old friend told me he had turned off the news for a week, unable to bear it, and found that the world was full of amazing loving people. Maybe politicians don't realize that people are so much better and loving than they give them credit for. Just look what happened in March 2020. Because of our age, we were told to isolate, to restrict our outings to a one-hour daily walk. And immediately, neighbours contacted us to offer to shop. The owner of the nearby Italian delicatessen invited us to phone in an order which he would deliver. And the local mutual support group, one of many set up all over the country, provided Alex and Adam, who brought us regular supplies of fruit and vegetables. And we can all point to examples where people looked out for one another. And our way of life was changed. And that change was disrupted. Many people didn't see loved ones for months. Children didn't go to school. It wasn't nice. But we did it because it was necessary to protect vulnerable people and make sure that the NHS had the capacity to look after those people who suddenly really needed them. And when we started to mix with others again, we kept two meters away from people we would normally hug. And we wore those masks. And we continue to wear them when there are vulnerable people around. I think this disruption is loving, loving disruption. And if we are to leave our children and our children's children a world which they can live in, won't we need to accept changes to our way of life which will be disruptive out of love for the next generation? Come election time, politicians always look for slogans. How about all we need is love?
Thank you, Patricia, for an excellent reflection. And thanks for suggesting this excellent theme as well. Our final hymn today is The Fire of Commitment. Maybe the link to the theme isn't quite so obvious, but the words speak of making courageous choices inspired by prophetic visions, which to me is resonant with that sense of being willing to stir things up for the greater good. Once again, this recording is by the Unitarian Music Society, so do sing along at home with gusto if you like. sung that one for a while so just a few announcements this morning thanks to patricia again for choosing the topic and offering her brilliant reflection thanks to maria for reading hannah for co-hosting 
Peter for our lovely music. Uh, we'll have virtual coffee time after the service as usual, so you can stay and chat if you'd like. If that's not your thing, as I said at the start, we would love to hear from you. If you're a newcomer, you want to introduce yourself, please do drop us a line via email if you'd like to say hello. There are various small group activities going on during the week for you to meet up. There's coffee morning online at half ten on Wednesdays. And there are still spaces left for our heart and soul gatherings tonight and Friday at seven o'clock. This is a contemplative spiritual gathering lasts about an hour and a half. Uh, just very uh, soothing and a good way to get to know people at a deeper level. This week's theme is noticing beauty. So it should be quite an uplifting topic. Our service next Sunday will be a hybrid gathering. You can come along to the church in person or join us online as usual. It will be led by Sarah Tinker and Heidi Ferrid on the theme of the seasons and featuring some of Heidi's art. And I heard from uh, Veronica today sent me an email saying that she's having a birthday picnic uh, at Holland Park two o'clock next week after the service. So if anyone wants to join at all would be welcome along to that. Um, I've been mentioning for a few weeks we're setting up a WhatsApp group. I haven't done it yet. I will try and do it in the next day or so. Um, a WhatsApp group to help congregation members stay in contact, share things that we might find uplifting and to get a little window into each other's lives. We're calling it an in-touch group, not for discussing church business, just friendly sharing. If you were part of the Nature Carries On group or the Gratitude group, it will be along those general lines. A good number of people have got in touch, but do let me know if you want to join that. Another thing I want to plug is a forthcoming congregational conversation on community engagement. This will be on Thursday, the 8th of September, at seven o'clock, primarily on Zoom to explore ideas how we can actively cultivate ongoing connections between different groups within our community once we move to fully week, uh, hybrid weekly services in the autumn. Um, there are various options for initiatives and programs we might set up. So we'd like to hear from people about what they'd be most likely to engage with so that we can target our limited energy and resources in ways that would be most fruitful. Um, and if you're aware of congregation members who don't do Zoom, please do encourage them to get in touch and because it might be possible for us to offer a watch party at the church or other ways to get people's responses and participation in this conversation. We want as many people as possible to get involved. Um, Hannah just reminded me to say we've got a gathering the waters service on Sunday the 11th of September. This is a symbol symbolic regathering after our summer dispersal to some degree, and there'll be a ritual in which you bring some water that you've. Um, it can be from your tap. It can be some from somewhere you've been on your travels over the summer. Uh, it could be. Uh, Buxton water out of a bottle that you've used symbolically used to represent something of uh, what you've been doing in your life since you were last uh, with the congregation. The logistics of doing this as a hybrid service I haven't yet quite worked out but even if you're not physically present in the church if you have some water on that on hand that day uh, you will be able to join in one way or another but in case people want to gather it while they're on their travels I'm mentioning it now even though it's a month away. I'll try and say that in a more concise week time concise way next time. I think that's everything. This congregation very much has a life beyond Sunday mornings. We encourage you to keep in touch and look out for each other. Do what you can to nurture supportive connections. And most of this information is in the Friday email, or if it isn't, it'll be in next week's. So you can check the details there. Time for our closing words and closing music. So I invite you to select gallery view at this point if you can, so we can all see each other's faces and get a sense of our gathered community as we close.
As we head out into another week in this turbulent and uncertain world, let us be planted firmly on the side of humanity and on the side of this planet that we share. May we pray for peace and justice. May we speak up and raise our voices. May we engage as we can in acts of resistance and loving disruption. And above all, may we remember to take very good care of ourselves, each other, and all those we meet. May it be so for the greater good of all. Amen. <laughs>